Good morning, Rimrock Church. It is great to be here, be outside, um, be with you all. I hope you stay cool enough. Hopefully this breeze uh, keeps us nice and cool out here. Um, I was reading in Psalms this morning. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So let's lift up our praises to the king this morning. Huh? <laughs> 
Lord.
Praise forever to the King of Kings. You guys can have a seat. So glad that you guys are here. I'm going to welcome John Leitenberg up. He works with Love, Inc., and he's going to come share a little bit about that today. Good morning. Man, the heavens and the earth declare his majesty. What an awesome place to uh, worship the king. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, about a year ago, I was sitting in this field, came to visit my folks, Gene and Leola, and on the way down the hill, just sense God saying, like, I want you to become a part of this family. So for the last, almost a year now, uh, we've made Rimrock our home church, and it's just been great for our family, for our kids, and just great to be a part of, of this community and what's happening. Um, I am the executive director for Love, Inc. That's what I do during the week when I'm not going to church. And Love, Inc. stands for Love in the Name of Christ. And 21 years ago, there was myself and a handful of rim rockers and people from a few other churches that said, heard about this ministry, Love in the Name of Christ, and said, let's bring it to Rapid City. The idea is, how can we mobilize the local churches to impact lives and communities in our, our area to transform lives in the name of Christ? One thing we've loved about being at Rimrock is that this time right here, where we're talking about uh, ministries and, hey, what do you, anyway, come on up. We're talking about ministries in Costa Rica, India, Mexico, and it's not just like something happening over there. It's not just about projects and programs happening somewhere else. It's about people, right? These are real people who have become friends of our church, and we have a relationship with them. But we also have a calling here in our hometown to have a relationship with our neighbors. And sometimes, like even on the way to church here, there was a man holding a sign asking for help. And you're like, how do I help that person? If I give him money, am I really helping or am I hurting this problem? What do I do? I know as a Christian, I have a responsibility to my neighbor, but how do I have a meaningful impact in their lives? And that's where Love Inc. comes in. We want to, we're not gonna be able to help everybody, but for people who are struggling, how can we come alongside them and help move them towards wholeness, introduce them to Christ, give them the tools and resources they need to move forward in life, have stability, stabilize, and then strengthen them and their, their relationships and their family, how they manage money, things like that. And so we've been doing that for lots of different ways for 21 years. Speaking of lots of different ways, um, Anna and Grace, you want to help hand out some flyers. If you came in, you might have gotten a little tiny Love Inc. flyer. If you didn't, uh, maybe the ushers and Anna and Grace, my daughters, can help. Just raise your hand if you didn't get one, and they'll give you one. Just gives you a way to get to our website, which actually just launched a new one on Friday. And so there's some things that aren't accurate on there yet, so don't judge us if you're like, hey, this isn't right. But there's also some really cool things on there. Um, so I just want to give you a hint, just a taste. I can't tell you everything that Love Inc. is doing, but what I do want to say is you have skills and talents, some of which you don't even know you have, that could really bless your neighbors in need in our community. Maybe you know how to cook a great meal. Like there's people who they have no clue. They've never made a meal from scratch. They don't even know how to do that. Maybe your house is organized and neat. There's people who have no clue and they could really use your talents and skills. Maybe you're just a good listener. We have people who, you know, just, we need someone to take time and listen. Maybe you're good at finances. We need people who can help people manage their finances. 
So if you're like, if God's nudging you, like I'd like a way to get involved, um, you can go to the website. You can click for some information. Actually, it's my dad, Gene, who does the tours of our facility on Omaha Street. So he'll show you around, show you what we're doing. I'm going to tell you a few stories. Silas is here for a reason. Um, Sadie didn't want to come up with her bike, but I have five kids, and so I've had like lots and lots of bikes as they've grown, and we've had to swap and buy and sell. One of the ministries of Love Inc. is called Thrive, and it's an outdoor adventure gear store. People donate their clothing, apparel, but especially bikes. And in the bike shop, um, youth come, and they put away their phones, and they learn what tools are, and they start working on bikes alongside adult volunteers. And so Silas outgrew his bike, and so we were at Thrive, and this there was a sale, and I'm like, man, that's a great deal. And so Silas got a new bike. Every bike, we've, we've refurbished about 600 bikes this last year. So someone donated Silas's bike, and a youth came and tuned it up, got it working, replaced brakes or whatever needed to be happened, and then I saw a sale and I bought it. So he's happy. Then we took his old bike, Sadie, who's a year younger, she needed to upgrade her bike. We brought it in and gave it to a youth. He did a total tune-up on that, replaced some shifters, like put new tires on, and it's ready to go. And so we paid for a little tune-up. But let me tell you a couple of these youth. One of them, um, his uh, dad passed away, and his mom's just like, he needs to be around some guys. And so he came in and started working on bikes. I'll tell you what, that, that kid can do, he can fix anything now. He's been there for almost a couple years. He can fix anything. It's just awesome, and he is a part of the community. Another young man, through ju juvenile services, he had to put in some community service time. He did not want to be there, but it was a lot better than some of his other choices, a cooler place to be. It's over a year later. He's long since put in his community service time, and he's there almost every day. And so when I brought in Sadie's bike that needed to be fixed, he fixed it. He turned that thing around, and just a moment of pride, because we really believe at Love Inc. everybody's got something to offer. One of the big things we do is help people with furniture. People are moving into a house and they need something, and so we provide them. They don't just get it. They come and work in our furniture workshop or serve at our Life Inc. classes. But they put in some time and then they earn items for themselves. So that's kind of what happens there. So there's tons of ways to volunteer. I just want to leave you with one other story. We had um, a woman, Anna, and she was staying at the Hope Center, which is a great resource our community has, and her sister died. And she had been already struggling with substance abuse, and once her sister died, she just, she couldn't go on, and she fell back into substance abuse and ended up in jail for a month. And on coming out, she started some recovery programs. It just wasn't clicking for her, and she's like, I just need to be around Christians. And she heard about the classes that we offer, and she took, started taking some classes at Life, Inc. She started volunteering at our Rise uh, Furniture Store and at Thrive. And her life is, God has completely changed her life. And it's she says it's because she started hanging out with God's people. And you are God's people. If we can do that in our community, people, our community needs you. And so I'm just so grateful for this church. And just encourage you, if, if you're looking for a way to volunteer, check out Love, Inc. This is not an, another ministry in our community. We really hope, and this was from the beginning, we hope it's an extension of this church and our other churches in our community, a way our church can reach our community. So talk to me or my dad afterward. We love to share more about it. Check out our website and sign up and come and get a visit. 
and give a hand of applause to Silas. He did a great job. Awesome. Thanks, John, so much for coming. Thanks, Silas. Thanks, you guys. Well, let me pray. God, I just uh, I thank you that we, uh, we can look to you, um, God, even just to see where you want us to join you in your work. I love that there are so many hands and feet here in the body of Christ, God, that are um, just already, um, already at work, God, and that you are the one that shows us where to go and to work, where to work, God. And, and I know I've experienced this week anxiousness and stress because I feel like I have to figure that out, but God, we need you for every bit of it. And you just constantly tell us to turn to you and listen to your voice, to just be obedient to what you have to say and not try and, and find our own way through life. So we thank you. God, we pray that that these times when we come together, these times that we spend with you on a daily basis, God, I love that we have a relationship with you because we constantly need help being drawn back into focus of, of who you are and what really matters, God. So may this time of worship just be a prayer for each of us, God, to turn our eyes to you, to look to you for help.
let's sing that one more time just softly there has never been anything that we need more than you. God, would you help us now to just engage with you and your word as Ben comes and shares with us, God. Help us to hear not just what we want to hear, not just what we like to hear, God, but what is true and real and rich, God, because it is your word. God, we praise you. Continue just to show us our constant need for you. pray this in your name. God, we need you. Isn't it cool when you're singing a song that says, turn your, look up into the heavens, and you can look up in the heavens. <laughs> we can look at the hillside. Love it. So thankful. So thankful for uh, this body of believers, this church, that God has called us together to be a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And we need him. Uh, I believe that with all my heart. I I grow more and more aware of that every day I live. I realize more and more my need for Jesus. And uh, that's what we prayed up here as a worship team, just realizing that, uh, whether we realize it or not, that He is the source of our blessing. Uh, I believe with all my heart there is no blessing outside of God. And uh, that's why we gather on Sunday mornings to remind ourselves of that because we forget, right? <laughs> we look for blessings in other places and other things, but, but as we sang, Jesus is my one defense. He is my righteousness, and that's, that's our prayer this morning. Well, we're, we're journeying through uh, the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I can't think of, uh, you know, I, I, I've read the Gospel so many times, but I, I can't think of a time in my life where certain things have just really stood out to me in a, in a new way, in a, in a fresh way, in a powerful way about who Jesus is. And, and so it, it's just so exciting for me, even though I've, I've walked with the Lord so many years, that, that the more I know Him, the more I want to get to know Him more. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Sometimes in our human relationships, we get tired of each other, right? It, or maybe you don't. <laughs> but even in your families, right? Sometimes you think, I, I know all about this person, but but when you, when you really dig in and you really get to know people and you realize the complexity of them and the beauty of them and who God made them to be, but, but the ultimate person is Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible teaches all of us were made in the image of God. And so if there's anything good that we see in anything, in anyone, its source is ultimately Jesus Christ. And so as we get to know Jesus, we find that he is uh, what our hearts most desire. You know, Jesus had a, a very simple message, uh, and all the Gospels record it. And the message was this, the time has come. The time is now. 
The kingdom of God has come near. You see, the message of Jesus wasn't talking about some future kingdom or some future reality where God was going to show up. He was saying, now is the time. God is here. He's shown up. The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's breaking out. It's being revealed. It's being seen and understood who God is and what he's doing in the world. What is government, his rule, what he's using his power for. And he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. This is what all the disciples preached after Jesus ascended and resurrected. And it's what we preach today as Christians. <laughs> that the kingdom of God is good news. <laughs> the best news. If there's anything that we can share, it's that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. That God is present. He is working. He's revealing his goodness and his purpose in the world. We need good news, don't we? Because this world is full of terrible news. <laughs> in our own lives, we have a lot of bad news that happens. Even this week, I may be can guess that some of you got some really bad news. Maybe in your family, maybe a, a illness, financial, something bad that's happened. We read our newspapers and we hear about all kinds of bad news. We hear about mass shootings, we hear about natural disasters, economic pain, uncertainty, diseases, war. We hear bad news constantly. And so the question is, what do we do about that? What do we, what do, we do with all the, the dysfunction and the hurt and the problems and the pain of this world? And yet Jesus says, there's something good that God is doing. So what does that mean? What does it mean, and how is the kingdom of God good news? That's, that's what we're learning as we go through the Gospel of Mark. That's what we're learning about Jesus as the King, as the Lord, as the Messiah, as the, the representative of, of God's inbreaking kingdom into our world. That God is doing something. And so this is what we're learning about Jesus and Mark. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 this morning. Uh, Pastor Boomer started, kicked us off in chapter 7 last week. And uh, we can't understand what we're going to look at today in verses uh, 24 uh, through 37 without understanding Jesus' um, confrontation with the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus had some enemies, and they were called Pharisees. And they, we found out earlier in Mark they wanted to kill Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, which we're going to look at next week, Jesus has a, a very interesting statement, a phrase that I've been thinking about a lot this week. He says, beware or watch out for the yeasts of the Pharisees and of Herod. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at King Herod and his way of, of pursuing pleasure and ultimately his sexual immorality and his pursuit of pleasure led to John the Baptist being beheaded and killed. And we talked about how sin always leads to death. In fact, that's what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And we think about the bad news, the problems of our world, and, and where, do, where does that come from? The Bible's very clear, the source of evil and wrong and sin in our world is, a, is in the human heart. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Matthew ch or Mark chapter 7 with the Pharisees, because the Pharisees thought they could deal with problems in their own lives and the problems of the world through external performance. 
They thought, if, if we just have the right laws, if we just make people do the right things, if we just have the right behavior, then we will solve the problems, the sin, the dysfunction of this world. And so Jesus had a confrontation with the Pharisees because he says, you're wrong because they were saying, you know, if you only did this, then, then you would be clean. And so the issue, the question is, how do we solve the greatest problems that we have as human beings in our world? And what defiles us? What makes us unclean? What, what's the root source of sin in our world? These are critical questions. And the Bible has a clear answer. <laughs> Jesus has a clear answer, but, but we don't like Jesus' answer. We kind of like the Pharisees, and we kind of like Herod. In fact, if, if we could sum up how the world system works, the Pharisees and Herod represent it. And I want to I just state that it's in all of us. There's a little bit of Pharisee. There's a little bit of Herod in every single one of us. And we know that because Jesus said, where does sin come from? It comes from the human heart. It comes from my heart. It comes from your heart. It comes from the heart of every human being on this planet. We got a problem. <laughs> we got a problem. So how do we solve it? This is why Jesus came. And he says, be careful. Don't, don't try to solve it the way the Pharisees do or Herod does. And if I could characterize the, the upheaval in our nation today, there's a lot of Pharisees and there's a lot of Herods seeking to solve some really deep, painful problems in our society. Painful, painful problems. We know it. We feel it. We see it. But the question is, what is the good news of the kingdom of God? What has God said about our problems? What has God said about the dysfunction in our society? Will we, will we listen to him or will we pursue our own way? How will we respond to what Jesus says? So in Mark chapter 7, I'm going to read through this and, and I'm going to make some comments as we go through this um, so you can remain seated as we look at this passage. But but I just want to make sure we understand the context. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, in verse 20. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is a, an offensive message. This is a hard message. Our culture has totally rejected this message. The, the culture says the good is inside and then we just got to change the outside. But, but Jesus said, no, we got we to deal with what's inside. We got to look what's inside of us. And so now we got two stories that are going to reveal something about the kingdom of God and what God is doing in our world today. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And he entered a house and he didn't want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his present secret. So Jesus has left the nation of Israel, and he's gone into what is today present-day Lebanon. And so this is a, a non-Jewish area of the world, okay? That's really important for us to know. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was there? <laughs> I think it's so interesting. You know, as human beings, we're... We want to be known. We're, we're really good self-promoters. And if, and if there's something exciting, we want, we want other people to know about it. But, but Jesus is revealing something about the kingdom of God because 
He goes secretly. He doesn't want people to know. Let's hold on to that. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Isn't it interesting that this woman hears about Jesus? And what does she do? She falls on her feet. Have you seen that pattern through the Gospel of Mark? Is some people hear about Jesus and they want to kill him. <laughs> Other people hear about Jesus and they fall at his feet. But listen about this woman. The woman was a Greek. The word there is very strong. That This was a Gentile woman. This was a, a non-Jewish woman. That's important. Born in the Syrian Phoenicia. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have the same account. And, and uh, Matthew says she was a Canaanite. Uh, we, we went through the book of Judges as a church. And uh, if you remember, what was the history of the Canaanites with the Jewish people? <laughs> was it a good history? Or was it a painful history? It was a history of war, conflict, destruction. In fact, the Philistines and the Canaanites became the biggest enemies of Israel. Here is Jesus going into enemy territory from the Jewish perspective. Intentionally. And this woman is from the very same people that Israel had a long, painful history of conflict, war, and division. So she was from Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Then Jesus' response catches us off guard. She says, he says, first, let the children eat all they want. So isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't dance around political correctness? <laughs> he doesn't dance around issues. He, get, he gets right to the heart of the issue. He's in enemy territory. This woman is descendants of the enemies of Israel. And he brings that up. He brings up the fact that she's not Jewish and that he is Jewish. And she knows that. She knows that. There's a division and Jesus puts it on the table. And he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What is Jesus doing here? <laughs> I mean, the Jews referred to the Canaanites as dogs. It's, a, it's an insult. They, they, they insulted these people all the time. And I'm sure this woman has painful memories of Jewish people calling her a dog. She's heard that insult before. And Jesus repeats it. What's he doing? What's he getting at? Verse 28. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In Matthew's gospel, it says, Jesus responded by saying, woman, you have great faith. You have amazing faith. What amazed Jesus about her response? There, there's something here that, that is so important for us that I think Jesus was trying to teach the disciples on the lake in the storm when, when they were afraid and they thought, we're going to die. And Jesus said, I am. And he told them not to be afraid, take courage. And he was teaching them about faith. This woman understands something the disciples didn't understand. This woman understands something that the Pharisees didn't understand. She understands something that Herod didn't understand. She understands something that many of us don't understand. Oh, but by God's grace, may we understand today. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You see, Jesus 
put his finger on the pain, the fear, the heartache. Think about this woman. Why was she falling at Jesus' feet? Was it for herself? <laughs> no, it was for her daughter. This is a woman who loved her daughter. This is a woman who, who society around her would have said, what are you doing? Why are you going to that Jew? She wasn't there for herself. She, it was love that drove her there. But think about what Jesus was pushing and touching. The area of pain in her life, hardship in her life, an area of division, an area of conflict, an area of trouble, a big problem. And how does she respond? Is she defensive? Does she yell at Jesus and say, how do you talk to me like that? Or don't you see who I am? No. What do we see in this woman? We see humility. We see she recognizes who she is, her need, and she recognizes who Jesus is. She says, Lord. <laughs> she says, Lord. She understands who Jesus is. She knows that he is the great I am, that he has power, that he has authority over demons, over sickness, over everything, even over her own life. She believes in Jesus. She sees her need, and she is willing to receive whatever Jesus is willing to give to her. She's not demanding. She's not saying, I deserve it. She's saying, you have what I most need. You have what I most long for. You have what will satisfy. You have what will heal. You have what is good. I don't have it, but you do. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Wow, that's power. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidian down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. Now notice, Jesus left a non-Jewish area and went to another non-Jewish area. This is where the, the demonized man who had the, the demons, the legion of demons, where Jesus cast him into pigs is the same area. Ten Greek cities, the area of the Decapolis. And there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus. Do you see the theme? <laughs> The woman begging Jesus, the people begging Jesus to place a hand on him. And after he took him aside, so away from the crowd. Again, Jesus secretly, secretly, not in front of the crowd, not to gain attention, but secretly away from the crowd. But the disciples were there. Then Jesus put his finger into the man's ears. How many how many fingers have you put into people's ears? <laughs> it's a little strange, right? And then he spat and touched the man's tongue. Let me ask you, who, who do you share your saliva with? <laughs> Not very many people, right? Why is Jesus sharing his saliva with this man? And then he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, this, this word sigh is the same word in Romans 8 that says, Groans. This is the groaning that the earth is experiencing for the world. This is, this is the problem, the trouble of the world, groaning, the sorrow of the world with groans that cannot be even put into words. Do you see the exchange in this moment? Jesus is giving this man his life, his intimacy, his love, his value, his touch, his very self he's giving to this man. And what's Jesus taking upon himself? 
the sorrow, the pain, the problems of this man. A deep sigh, he says, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. And Jesus commanded them to not tell anyone, but the more he did so, again, you see it, third time, don't tell anyone, it's a secret. But the more they kept talking about it, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In that passage, there's three quotes, three references to Isaiah chapter 35. This is a, Mark is making a huge point here. He's saying, go back to Isaiah 35, because in Isaiah 35, we hear the promise of God that he would make the dry places prosper, that he would make the wilderness flower, that he would see the suffering of the world, and he would bring healing, that he would be, bring hope to the hopeless. And we see that reference to the, the deaf hearing and the mute speaking. This is the purpose of God. This is the kingdom of God making all things new. God is making all things new. He is transforming this broken world and he's making it into a new kind of world. The world that he intended to be free from death, free from pain, and free from sorrow. So what's, what's the lesson here? How will we respond to Jesus and his message to repent and believe that the good news of the kingdom is at hand. Not, not, not some future date, not some future time, but, but right now, right now, in your life, in my life, in the United States of America and, and the different nations of this world, that, that there is a kingdom of God that is at hand, that is being revealed, that is breaking out into our world. What can we learn? First, that the kingdom of God is not like our kingdoms. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a a mustard seed. It seems so small, so insignificant. I wonder if that's why Jesus kept it secret, kept it small, said don't tell anyone because this isn't like human performance. This isn't like the best that we can produce. In fact, if you think about the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, it's a story of human achievement. It says, if we come together, we can build a tower. We, we can make a way all on our own. We don't need God. Yet Jesus is revealing something very profound, very transformative, very important for us, is that the kingdom of God is found in the smallest thing, like a seed. In fact, Jesus said, it's like a farmer who spreads seed out in the soils. It's a small thing, but Jesus said, like that mustard seed, it grows into a tree that overtakes a whole garden. And think about the power of forest. Look out in the forest. All that forest started with a seed, one seed, and a forest that takes over everything. And so it's small, but it's powerful. It cannot be kept secret. Jesus told the Pharisees very clearly, you look to outward performance, you look to outside laws, you look to try to make things different, to solve problems from the outside. But not the kingdom of God, it starts on the inside and it transforms the heart of the human being. 
to produce something different. <laughs> Instead of that list of sins that destroy relationship, that destroy everything, God wants to produce life, goodness, blessing, hope, love, joy, peace, healing. God wants to bring blessing, and he wants to do it in me, and he wants to do it in you, and he wants to do it in every single person. It's small, yet Jesus says it's powerful, and it can change the greatest problems, the greatest things that we face. Second, the kingdom of God is most concerned about people. It's most concerned about people. Think about Herod. Herod was after his own power, his own desires, his own wealth. The, the Pharisees were, they, they were more concerned about their own laws and being right and their own judgments and, and feeling better than other people. But, but what do we see in Jesus? We see these intimate interactions with two people who are so small and insignificant in, in, in human history. Who would have ever thought that this Canaanite woman would have brought any value to human life or this deaf and mute man? But, but Jesus goes out of his way, out of what's normal, out of what everyone thought would be a safe place. He went to the outer reaches to interact with two people personally. He loved them and he gave them value. In fact, Jesus shared his saliva with one. That's, you, you only do that with people that you're the closest with, that you love the most. And what does Jesus do? He shares his very life with these people, showing their value, showing how important they are to God and to God's purpose. Jesus said, I did not come to rescue the healthy, but the lost and the sick. He came to rescue people. And he's really after people's hearts. Like, like this woman, her daughter had a big problem and, and Jesus solved it for her, but, but Jesus was poking at a bigger problem of her heart and her relationship with him as the God of the universe, the creator. All the people Jesus healed would get sick again and they would die. We will, we will get sick again and we will die, but, but, but there's something of infinite value in all of us that will last forever. We are eternal beings. And Jesus came not only to, to, to heal the sick, but he came to rescue who we are. Our personhood, our hearts, our souls, our spirits. But he, God doesn't just care about that. He cares about everything because he doesn't just address our hearts, but he, he addresses our, our physical needs as well. God cares about all of what we are as human beings. We're not just spiritual beings. We're not just physical beings. We are whole beings that Jesus loves unconditionally and completely, and he came to save us. And so the kingdom of God is about people, but just not our kinds of people, because <laughs> we, we form our own little groups, our own little tribes. We put up our own little borders, and we say, these are the good people, and these are the bad people, but, but Jesus breaks through that. And he says, I, I, love, I love the children of Israel, but, but I have other children. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I, I love the Canaanites. This is what Israel missed in Judges. They missed the, the heart of God. They, they thought it was all about conquest. But what was God really looking for? He was looking for people who would worship him, who would love him, who would know him and receive what only he could give. And so this is a, this is a passage about the love of God for, for people outside of our tribe, outside of our, our neighborhood, outside of the people that we feel comfortable with. As it says in Revelation, people of every tribe, every language, 
every nation. And so what Jesus is showing us is access to the kingdom of God isn't by our birth, our ethnicity, our, our external behavior, what we can produce. It's by grace, through faith. This woman didn't have anything that she could offer to please God, and she knew it. She knew it. She knew she wasn't righteous. She knew she didn't have anything to bring to please God. She says, I, I don't have anything to give, Jesus. I can only ask for what you have. It's by grace through faith. This is the, this is the foundation of what the Bible says is our, the good news, is that, that we can come into God's kingdom. We can have access to the, the riches of God, not through what we can produce, but, but what, what He can give us. It's by grace. <laughs> it's by grace. This is good news, brothers and sisters. Our world is driven by performance. Our world is driven by the haves and the have-nots. Aren't you glad that God's economy doesn't work that way? I'm so glad. Because I wouldn't make it otherwise. But God has mercy. He has grace on me. He has mercy. He has grace on you. He doesn't look at us what we lack, but what we have. And this woman had faith. She believed. She placed her faith in Jesus. So as we come, wrap up our time here, I just want to share a quick story because, you know, here, here at uh, Rim Rock, we talk a lot about mission to other places like India and Costa Rica. I'm so thankful John was here this morning to talk about loving because that's what this passage is about. It's about, about God's love for the other, for the people outside that he wants to bring in and the hearts that he wants to transform by his grace through faith. And we can think about other people, but uh, one of the things I was thinking about this week is, uh, you know, I lived in Minnesota, and, and uh, I married uh, my wife, Jill, and she has a, a Scandinavian background. My, my family came from uh, England, uh, from the British Isles, and I was thinking this week, like, what, what would have my ancestors in the, in the 10th, 11th century, what would they have said about Jill's ancestors, the Vikings? You know, in Minnesota, we have a football team that we affectionately root for for the Vikings. But if I would have interviewed my ancestors in England in the 10th century and the 11th century, and if I would have said, how do you feel about Vikings? <laughs> what do you think their response would have been? The Vikings were the terrorists of that time. The terrorists. These people were brutal. They killed, they maimed, they stole, they plundered. In fact, uh, everyone who has uh, Scandinavian heritage, they, they have Irish and, and British blood because they, they not only conquered, but they, they raped and they pillaged. These were, these were the terrorists. These people were, were brutal. And, and there's lots of accounts in history of, of what happened in those time periods. But I was thinking about this week, you know, I, I know a lot of Scandinavians but they're not terrorists. <laughs> they're not killing and pillaging and, and destroying. In fact, my wife is the greatest gift God has ever given me and her family, and I know a lot of Scandinavians. In fact, Rimrock is a church um, that is part of the Evangelical Free Church that was started by Scandinavian immigrants who came from Sweden and Norway, passionate about Jesus Christ and his word, and they wanted to bring this message of Jesus to America, to this new land. And we think about Think about what happened. Because in the 12th century, there were no longer Vikings pillaging 
and killing and raping and destroying. And so we have to ask ourselves, what happened? <laughs> what brought the change? What changed? What happened? There was a man named Patrick who was British and he was captured by uh, Irish marauders and he, uh, he became a slave, but uh, he escaped and he came back and he brought Jesus to Ireland. And he preached this message, repent and believe because the good news of the kingdom of God is at hand. And God worked in such a way in Ireland that thousands and millions of people like this Canaanite woman came on their knees before Jesus Christ and they said, Jesus, you are Lord and we need you. And it was Irish missionaries that went into Scandinavia and began to share the message of Jesus. But it wasn't just Irish missionaries, it was, it was Irish slaves captured by their Viking masters who revealed a different kind of life. In fact, the Vikings mocked Christians. They said they're weak, they don't resort to violence, they, they, they save sex for marriage. What's wrong with these people? So the Vikings mocked the Christians, but, but they began to see something in their Irish slaves and these Irish missionaries. They began to see something that was different, that was powerful, like that mustard seed that Jesus talked about. And within a few hundred years, most of Scandinavia had bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. And it brought a change to our world. <laughs> and, and this isn't about Scandinavians. <laughs> It's not about Canaanites, it's, it's not just about Jewish, it, it, has, it doesn't have to do with our race or ethnicity. As human beings, we, we have a problem, it's a, it's a sin problem. Jesus said, the problem is within you. It's your, it's your heart that has rejected God and said, no, I'm going to go my own way, I'm going to do my own thing. And this is the third thing that we learn about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will ultimately win. God wins. But he wins through the heart of every single person. He wins through our hearts as we encounter Jesus like this woman, like this deaf man. As we come to Jesus, he addresses the deepest, darkest pains and dysfunction in our hearts. And this is what Jesus says is the kingdom of God. This is why he came to die as a suffering servant. In fact, throughout Mark, we see in Isaiah, we see in Mark the reference to Isaiah chapter 53, that Jesus is the Messiah, the suffering servant. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. And we're going to take communion here because this is, this is such an important reminder for us as Christians here today. As we think about the biggest problems in our world today, what are the biggest problems in your life? What are the biggest problems in our culture what is God doing? What is the good news? This is what Isaiah 53 says. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who will believe in Jesus? Who will believe that the kingdom of God has power to transform, has power to address the deepest needs and the deepest problems that I face, that you face, that our world faces. Who will believe it? That's what Isaiah is saying in chapter 53. That's what Jesus is saying as people come to him. Who will believe? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Remember, Jesus came quietly, secretly. He didn't have what this world says is so valuable. He didn't have money and military and power. He didn't have what, what the world says is so important. In fact, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. People continue to reject Jesus today. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Remember when Jesus came to that deaf man, what did he do? He, he sighed, he groans. He knows the sorrow of this world. And he weeps with us. He grieves with us. He grieves. He knows our suffering. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Yet, surely he took up our pain. Do you see the exchange? <laughs> do you see the exchange? He has power to do something about it. But not everyone will come to him. Many people will reject him. What will you do? What will I do? Will we come to him today? Because today is the day of salvation. He bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. See, Jesus came as the Son of God, and he came to save, and he came to deliver us. He came to rescue us from our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. He knew our greatest problem, and he could do something about it. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He was willing to give what he had. He's willing to share his most precious life with us. And by his wounds, we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Here's the key. The key to faith is to recognize we don't have the answer. We don't have it right. The answer is not in our, we, we can't produce this. We're not like the Pharisees. We're not like Herod. We can't make our own way. We have to be humble. God gives grace to the humble. We are like sheep. We run away. We can't take care of ourselves. We were made for God. We were made to know him, to be his. We are his children. We are his people. We are meant to be cared by him, to be loved by him. We are his. We are not our own. We all like sheep, and each of us has turned our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. We're going to take communion here, and there's, there's tables around, and, uh, and maybe you picked one up on the way. I'll give you a few minutes. If, if you need to go pick it up, there's a, a, a little package with some bread and some grape juice. For us as Christians, this has eternal significance because Jesus saw us in our sin in our brokenness in our need and he came to us he came to us he, he came out of heaven to us he came to us he comes to you today and he offers his very life to you his very body to you Jesus said if you're going to be my disciple, you must eat of me and you must drink of me. I can tell you here today that I have nothing but Jesus. He has done everything good that is in me. Everything that is good that I long for and desire, I have found in him. 
And so when we take this bread together, let's take, let's eat, and let's remember that his body was broken so that we could be healed. And Jesus told his disciples that they should do this whenever they eat and remember what he has done. And so he said, this is my blood, which is the new covenant that God is making a way for us to be in relationship with him. And so let's drink and remember what Jesus has given us. Jesus, we come before you today as your people gathered in your name like that woman like that deaf man knowing that we need you Lord you know our problems you know our sin and we thank you and we praise you that you have made a way that you have forgiven us that you've washed us clean that you are transforming us from the inside out and I pray Lord even as John shared today that that we can be people of blessing <laughs> Not, not thieves and adulterers and, and, and selfish and, and all those sins, but, but we can be people of blessing, that we can give as you've given us, that we can be healers, givers, that we can bring joy and peace and love and gentleness and self-control and hope into our world. We look to you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave us His one and only Son to save us Whoever believes in him will live forever